Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin. Welcome to Pirates Talk. The Seton Hall men's basketball team was set to open its season on November 25th against Winthrop in the Wade Houston Tip-Off Classic, a nine-team event in Louisville. On November 27th, the Pirates are scheduled to play the host team, the Louisville Cardinals. I said was regarding Winthrop because, as we will find out, that game has reportedly been canceled. Earlier this week, on Wednesday, the Seton Hall Athletic Department's Media Relations Department announced that the team had, quote, paused all team activities due to positive COVID-19 test results among the program's Tier 1 personnel, which consists of student-athletes, coaches, staff, and managers, unquote. The University of Connecticut is currently in a pause, while earlier, the men's teams at Marquette and Villanova had to pause their team activities. What does this all mean for the Hall, for the Big East, for college hoops in general? Today, I call on two of the most knowledgeable and respected basketball voices in the country to help sort things out. I'm pleased to have as my guests Jerry Carino, the longtime college basketball writer for the Asbury Park Press and a voting member for the Associated Press Top 25 poll, and John Fanta, who does play-by-play on college hoops on Fox, is the host of the Big East Shootaround, and whose work has been seen on FS1, NBA TV, ESPN Plus, and more. Recently, John has joined the Field of 68 Media Network, and it is my pleasure to welcome them both to Pirates Talk. Jerry and John, thank you very much for your time today. Great to be here, Matt. Thanks for having us. Uh, would love to be talking about tons of basketball, uh, but there's obviously more going on than just basketball in the world of basketball. <laughs> Matt, it's a crazy, it's a crazy time, but you know, this is a lot of people have a lot of questions, so this is definitely a good time to do one of these. No question. Well, you mentioned that, Jerry, and I'll point out, by the way, I'll, I'll give an audio timestamp here. We're recording this at about 10 to 2 on Friday afternoon, Friday the 13th, by the way. Oh, Lord, <laughs> let's just get through it in 2020. Uh, but I mention it because the news cycle naturally never changes and the sands shift constantly. And so by time this is heard by people, there could even be a, another change in the landscape, if you will. So I just point that out for reference sake. But yeah, I mean, so much is changing so quickly and we just don't know which way things are going. And it looks like we might have hoops coming up in a couple of weeks and now we're not so sure. Jerry, let's just start with the Seton Hall story. Wednesday, the news broke that COVID had intruded their own little bubble, if you will. They had done so much to keep it out, but they announced that they had to pause basketball activities because someone in that tier one group, coach, player, manager, got the disease. What what do we know about Seton Hall's situation at this point? So first of all, you got to take a step back and look at the big picture, Matt, and that they had, the school is having a problem right now. So Seton Hall, you know, they, they went with an open campus this this fall um, students on campus and then uh, hybrid classes. So some students, you know, are in class some of the time. Most of the basketball players mostly do their classwork online, but it's a full campus. So they made it through the first two months and changed really no problem. But over the last two weeks, the campus, the cases on campus have started to mushroom. I don't know if there were Halloween parties or just because it got colder or if everybody's luck ran out, uh, if there were external forces. But so Seton Hall now has gone strictly to remote learning they've canceled their in-person classes which they were going to do after thanksgiving but they pulled the plug on that two weeks early and then inevitably what happens is 
the, the campus affects the athletes, right? So the players are on campus and they're getting it through campus life, I'm sure. And then, and then you have, you have an infection with the team, you know, uh, the, the players on the team have tested positive. So, so what, what's happening here is it's a, it's a minimum of a two week pause. Um, so, you know, you're talking about from early this week, if you count two weeks, that takes them to Thanksgiving week, to probably the middle of the week. Uh, you're you're going to, they're going to not play Winthrop on the uh, in this scheduled season over on the 25th, which was the first leg of a two-game uh, multi-team event in Louisville. So they had Winthrop on the 25th, Louisville on Black Friday the 27th. The Winthrop game is off now because Seton Hall is just because it's going to be coming out of their two-week pause. But see, two weeks, Matt, is the that's the time you can't have any events. Then you have to ramp up after that. You have to you have to test everybody again. You have to you have to get some practices in. You know, you can't just go from two weeks off to play in a game. So that game's out. Louisville's up in the air. And right now you just hope that everybody gets well. Well, and John, at the Big East Media Day, that 14-day period, and not just Big East, but, you know, all coaches have talked about it. Tell us a little bit about why they're they're so upset by that 14-day waiting period, which actually is more than that, isn't it? Because there's no uniformity with it in the way it's being followed in the sport. The Big East is choosing to follow this NCAA guideline, and apparently the NCAA can't make that a mandate. They're putting out, putting it out as a guideline. So what's frustrating coaches is that Tom Izzo in East Lansing contracts coronavirus, and his Michigan State team is practicing right now, getting ready for their season opener. And so that's what really has coaches disgruntled is what the Big East is choosing to follow this letter of the law. Okay, that's, it's good that they're following the letter of the law, but we have another power conference um, that is kind of allowing their schools to do what they would like to do. And so I, I think that a big difference is, is obviously football in that Michigan State, the Big Ten, they have football. And now it just started, you know, recently. But the point being, you're able to have some positive cases and you still could forge on and play a football game, as we've seen in the college football climate. But the fact is, uh, in basketball, teams are a lot smaller. Your tier one individuals, the, that group overall is a lot smaller. But I think there's just a frustration. And, and I think the other frustration is this. And I've discussed this with Kevin Willard and, and Dan Hurley. If you're testing every two to three days, if you're testing these student athletes three, four times a week, why do you have to shut your doors for two weeks if you're testing that often, if you can isolate and contact trace that individual, and if everybody else is testing negative, why are you having to do a complete shutdown? That, that's what coaches are really upset about. It's kind of backwards thinking in their mind to do as much testing as you're requiring, and yet if you get a positive test, and it's very real, people are going to test positive. We're already seeing games get canceled. You can't both have a a season in which you're traveling and going around, you can't have that to begin with, in my opinion, but you can't both have that. And then when you do get a positive test, which is inevitable in our climate, have to shut your doors for two weeks and then some. John uh, and, and, and Jerry, both you can answer. And, and John, we'll start with you. Well, if the coaches feel that way, and I understand that they are not at the helm of the Big East, but the coaches are there on the ground, so to speak. What is Val Ackerman saying about their complaints, and why is the Big East following the letter of the law? And kudos in many ways to do that, but they're also competing with others who are not. So what's the balance Val is trying to to maintain there? 
Well, I think you're just talking about a situation in which, again, the coaches don't have a whole lot of a voice when the league is, is meeting. I mean, the coaches are going to say what they're going to say, but this comes down to university presidents. We saw that in the Big Ten with the football stuff. Coaches were trying to drive narrative, but until it gets to the president's desk and the president actually changes the course of thinking, it's not going to matter. So what we're seeing in these meetings is that, that the coach's voice Kevin Willard's been giving alternatives and some, some options that, you know, might not even necessarily be feasible, but he's been on this COVID-19 task force and has tried to submit suggestions and you've had coaches to submit things. But the fact is presidents are the ones who sign off on this in terms of following the NCAA, you know, Val Ackerman, she is someone who um, is in very, just, she's very close with Mark Emmett, very close with Dan Gavitt. I know that there's a, a really good relationship there. Val's currently, you know, been very much involved. She's been one of the, the people who's led the NCAA's name, image, and likeness efforts and, and has really been embedded in the NCAA scene of the change that we're going to see in the association. It would be quite contradictory for her to be leading a, a conference that doesn't follow the guidelines given by said organization. So I think that's why the Big East is following it to the degree. And I think you're talking about presidents of, of private institutions um, who want to, to try to keep things as safe as possible. Uh, but the, the fact is they're, they're grappling with that and they're wrestling with that. And I, I want to add about the Big Ten, Matt, that I, I would – you know, we see what's going on at Michigan State, but I would be shocked if, if Rutgers president, Jonathan Holloway, if he allowed the same thing to happen on, on his campus and his team. I mean, the, Rutgers campus has been empty from the beginning of the, <laughs> of the semester. And I think that's a reason that's one of the reasons an advantage that the basketball team has is they have an empty campus. Like, I think the campus is really the tinderbox for this. It's not yeah. basketball per se. So so Rutgers is an empty campus. But I, w- I would venture to say and I'm speculating, but based on what everything I've heard, it's and seen from, from these people, if, if Rutgers, if and when they get to the point where they have a COVID case, they're going to shut down for two weeks. They're going to do what Seton Hall and the Big East schools are doing. They're not going to do what Michigan State's doing. So you, even within a league, you could have a competitive imbalance. Um, so it's really, it really is a very sticky situation that a lot of people aren't happy about. And it is, it is threatening the season. Like at best, at best, you're going to have a really choppy season. I mean, look what's going on in the MAC right now. The MAC is like, is like ground zero for the coronavirus in college basketball. Yeah, I mean, off the top of my head, and John, I may have missed somebody. Mamas just comes out of a pause. Iona goes into a pause. Sienna goes into a pause. Um, and uh, Ryder's in a pause. Maris. Maris just goes into a pause today. I just, that's, I just rattled off a third, you know, a third of the league. There's probably one or two others I'm forgetting. But uh, that's, you know, that's with two weeks to season starts. That's a crazy situation. And then, you know, King Rice and Kevin Baggett come out and say today and yesterday, what are we doing? Can we even play basketball? Can we even have a non-conference schedule? So this, things are very, very not much on a knife's edge right now. Very tense as we hit now the winter coming out of the fall shortly and into the winter. And we were told when this first hit our country, in fact, we knew when it started to spread throughout Asia and into Europe that the next year would be as bad, maybe worse. And even going back 100 years ago, that was the case. 1918 was bad, but 1919 was worse. So we're seeing things happen. Are, is it a matter, though, uh, Jerry, getting back to your point about you know some of the Mac guys saying, you know, can we have a season? Are we doing the right thing? 
I, I would say having a season, but conference only is the one that made the most sense. And yet there were coaches trying to get those 25, 27 games in. You know, why Why the interest in doing that and not just sitting back and saying, look, this is, a, this is an odd year. We had our previous year truncated just before the tournament. It has extended into the start of this season. Let's just play a conference schedule. Why is Seton Hall planning to be at the Yum Center in November? Why not just wait for the Big East season to open? So I have two theories on this, and John can chime in. John sees the big picture real well, but my theories are, one, when they when they established this policy in September, the, the, the COVID the pandemic was at a low ebb. You know, they, they decided in, in late August, early, I don't remember the exact date, late August, early September, to, that they were going to do a non try a non-conference, and at that time it was the pandemic had receded. You know, life was it was not normal, but it was more normal than it was than it is now, and it was more normal than it was in in you know April, May, June. So that was one thing, the timing of it. Number two is they, in order to see the NCA tournament, it helps to have some non-conference body of work. If it's conference only, and this is where it's different from football, it, where if it's conference only, it's just it's hard. It's very hard to see that the, it's, just crap, it's a real crapshoot. So the whole point is to have an NCAA tournament. That's what this is all about because the league, the, the, the sport, you know, I guess it'll survive, but it would just be a tremendous gut punch to, have, to miss a second straight NCAA tournament and it would be a revenue bloodbath for the schools. So, so that's why they wanted to have a non-conference to seed, to seed, help seed, but it's looking like it's going to be really hard to pull off at the moment. Yeah, and to Jerry's point, big picture, here's the thing that, that this sport is staring at right now, okay? You're trying to get to March. Right now, you're not even going to get out of the starters box, and if you do, it's it's not going to happen very well. And so I, I look at the state and the sport, and in order for college sports to survive, you have to have an NCAA tournament this upcoming year. And by that, I mean, as we know them. So college basketball is the biggest of the puzzle pieces in the, in the revenue that gets generated back to, of course, non-football schools, but for the NCAA, since they're the ones governing college basketball. What does that mean? It means that you can have a college soccer program with scholarships. It means you can have a baseball program with scholarships, softball, uh, cross country, track and field, you know, swimming and diving, all those sports should also be waiting with bated breath here for college basketball because it is the driving force. And if you don't have a March Madness, college basketball will survive. Those other sports, as we've known them, will die. Because no organization can lose millions, billions of dollars in back-to-back years and continue to do things the way that they've tried to do them. And so that is what is so deep here. And that's why you're trying to build a resume because you're building a resume to get to the NCAA tournament. And when you make the NCAA tournament, your conference makes money. And when your conference is coming off the year in which it lost a lot of money, you need that money now more than ever. And there's also TV deals here at state. And if you only play conference games, you are not getting anything close to what your television contract would give you if Villanova's playing Kansas like we saw last year, when Seton Hall plays Kentucky inside the Garden a couple years ago, those types of games are sexy to a TV network, and they're what makes a TV deal flourish. So without those this year, you'd be staring at, at problems. But the fact is, right now, 
as we stand today. Two months ago, non-conference games made total sense, uh, but this virus has only gotten worse, um, and, and it, they make no sense now. They make absolutely no sense in the here and now. As we stand today to preserve the state of your sport, to preserve the state of a season, the amount of imbalance that would be involved with playing a non-conference schedule might make the non-conference schedule totally, totally pointless. You're potentially risking your kids more by playing on November 25th. Um, and what's it worth when you have maybe 40% of other teams that are quarantining to begin with? So with that in mind, in the current state in the sport, I think for the safety to get preserved and for you to knock out games, it's best that leagues huddle up, bring this together, and try to format a way in which they can either go with regionalized pods, weekends where three or four teams are together at a time, or if you have the funding and have a bubble option that makes sense for two weeks, three weeks at a time, that's what you're staring at. One, one thing I wanted to add, and this, this is important because it's timely, you know, last night uh, the Ivy League pulled the plug, right? And so it, it's important the perspective here because, yes, the Ivy League, you know, they're obviously very intelligent people, okay? And they obviously – they do obviously care about the well-being of the student-athletes, as does everybody. But sure. here's the, the truth about the Ivy League is this. They don't need the money. You no. Know, they don't need the money. They don't need the units for making the NCAA tournament. They don't need the revenue of the television or whatever. They don't need any of that money. I mean, the schools are printing money. They don't need it. So Sports a, aren't the priority. It's just it, because, of the, because it's not a, they don't care about the money. It's not a big revenue stream for them relative to everything else they have going on. So – it's, it's, they're in a different ball game, so it was easier, much easier for them. That's why they pulled the plug. It was money. They don't need it. So, so that's money's a big part of this. Like John said, this is for the sports. And I do. I want to just say, I do. I feel really bad for these Ivy League athletes. It's, yes. It stinks for them. I mean, it stinks that they, you know, they missed the, the, the entire spring. They missed the entire fall, and they're going to miss the entire winter, and then they're going to miss the, at least part of the coming spring season. It stinks for them, and I, I, it's a gut punch, man. And I, if I was an Ivy League parent of an Ivy League athlete, Ivy League, Ivy League athlete, I'd be sick to my stomach today. Yeah, and, and I just want to add this, and it is heartbreaking. It's gut-wrenching, and my heart breaks for all those Ivy League student-athletes. But I'd just like to add, add this, and, and there's one, one thing here before I say it. I wish we were playing right now. We normally would be under normal circumstances. So this is not rooting for anything. I want this thing to go away. But these three things cannot be together, in my opinion. One, Ivy League has no basketball, no winter sports, and the fall sports aren't, you know, they're not going to be played in the spring. Two, I can't even get into an office, nor alone can most Americans get back into their office. Three, Seton Hall's expected to travel to Cincinnati and Milwaukee in a span of three days. Those three things can't all be true together, but right <laughs> now they are. <laughs> it's a good point, John. And uh, I, I can't the, argue. No, you can't. And so obviously there will have to be, well, there doesn't have to be, but one would presume that there are some changes on the horizon. I know there's been talk of those mini bubbles and maybe going up to Mohegan Sun in, in Connecticut, and we'll see how it unfolds. I'll get your opinions on that in a moment, although, John, you, you certainly have presaged where you stand on that. Uh, let me, though, ask about the Big East itself. So two teams currently in pause, Seton Hall and UConn. Two have paused, Marquette and Villanova. 
What is the scuttlebutt about other teams, or is this just something that when it happens, we'll know? And what is the concern that the other members are saying, like, wow, this is this is knocking on our door now? Yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of concern from other programs about the risk here. But here's the thing, and Steve Wojciechowski brought this up on Big East Media Day, and I thought it was well said. You know, this this can happen to any team, every team. A, a media member asked Steve, what did your team do to cause this? And, and and rightly so, Steve responded and said, my team didn't do anything. We have enforced, you know, the, these programs. Here, here's the reality. And, and people wonder, how are these kids, you know, staying in their rooms or how are they not going out? You know, these kids, a, a college campus is a Petri dish. So by being on said campus, you could get this. It's, it's really... A college campus that has students on it is, is kind of a super spreader in and of itself. Let's face, let's face the facts here. I understand why students are on campus, but there's no question that there's some risk involved. You're talking about community living space, community living to begin with. It's, it's tough. But I, I think, like, people wonder, how do these kids get, you know, stay in their dorms? Every program, if not most programs right now, I could tell you right now, they have someone on their staff if not a GA, if not a manager or two, that is constantly monitoring, that was constantly monitoring their student athletes under normal circumstances. Are they getting to class? Are they where they need to be? I'm sure that's only gotten doubled in coronavirus times where you have a GA in their hallway or you have somebody monitoring them. I mean, that's just how life is in, in college sports and during a pandemic. I'm sure it's like that. So the, the thing is, it could have happened to anybody, and I think coaches are, are certainly alarmed. They're certainly concerned. I mean, you know, I've, I've talked to a couple of coaches this week, and it's like one of those things where we're talking about basketball storylines, but it's, you know, we'll believe it when we actually see a, an official throw the ball up into the air on November 25th. So I do, I do think there's a higher risk factor, though, when your campus is full. Like, so, that's, is. So, no so that's, that's why after, after Thanksgiving – you know, we've talked about this a lot with Kevin Willard over the last few months. After Thanksgiving, it will be easier because these campuses will be easier for the athletes to stay safe. Like John said, it's communal living. What are you going to do? But there'll be, there'll be less communal living when the campuses are empty. So you do, your hope is that in a couple of weeks, there'll be sort of a little bit of a firewall for these schools when, when the other students go home. Right. And that, right. that will be good news for those programs. So what is the answer is is can the Big East afford a bubble? Or I know Jay Wright has said, well, we're dealing with students. Can we force them to do it? Uh, although he has said that is the answer. So, Jerry, are we going to see a bubble for the Big East and other schools? Or are we just going to roll the dice and see what happens here? I'll, I'll let John take the Big East answer because he, he would know better than me. But I'm going to tell you that what I hear from the mid-major coaches I talk to regularly, the guys at, the guys at FDU and NJIT, and, and Monmouth and St. Peter's, they ain't, they ain't having bubbles. No. Not, there's no way. There's no way. So a lot of these leagues, what they've done, Matt, is they've, they've put together a schedule where, like, for example, uh, St. Peter's will go play up at Canisius on a Friday, and then they'll stay there, and then they'll play Canisius again on a Saturday. So they'll get the two games in on one site. It doesn't matter who's home and who's not because no fans. It really doesn't matter that much. So that's, that's your two games against that team. So it limits travel. It keeps you together in a group. So you're limiting the people you interact with over a weekend. That makes a lot of sense. A lot of leagues are doing this. Northeast Conference is doing it. 
that I think that'll help. It's not a bubble though, but that's the best they're going to be able to do. So, so you're talking about what maybe there's five or six leagues, there's what 30 somewhat leagues in the country. There's five or six that can maybe afford bubbles, short bursts. There's there's 20 something, 28, 29 leagues that cannot afford them. So most of college basketball will not be using bubbles. You know, John could speak to the Big East, and I would say the Big Ten would probably be along similar lines. Yeah, I would just say that everything is is still on the table here because come hell or high water, they have to conduct the season. And so we'll see what the first couple weeks of the season, what happens in those. Um, But uh, talking with some coaches, you know, the anticipation actually is, and this sounds very counterproductive, but let's let's look at the facts here. There's a thought process that, hey, if we're going to have problems, which we're already seeing them arise, you'd rather have them early to give you the window of after Christmas, January, February, a full, you know, two months and change, as opposed to you have another issue at the end of December and it's like now January is really altered. So the season already was pushed back. Uh, remember the proposal that, that had the season potentially starting in early October. When you think about that now, it might've made more sense because of the fact that the virus has only surged here in the recent weeks. So I, I don't have anything to report on in terms of, yes, they're, they're really looking hard at a bubble or no, they're not looking hard. At, it is certainly a possibility. Here's, here's the thing about the Big East Conference. You're talking about Val Ackerman, you know, a, a founding person and, and the first president of the WNBA. You're talking about Stu Jackson, who has a long coaching career and an executive career in the NBA as well. And you talk to those people and they'll tell you the same thing. They're going to do everything that they can to make a basketball season real. Because unlike the Big Ten, Pac-12, Big 12, SEC, and ACC, the Big East priority is basketball. And they need basketball to happen for them to survive as they are. So they're going to do whatever they can to make this work. And, And if there are clear issues, I cannot see leadership in that league not looking at the alternative models. But John knows this. You can't put these kids in a bubble for two straight months. Correct. You can't do it because it's, 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 I mean, it's not even about attending class because most of them are doing class online anyway. It's about right. sanity. It's about sanity. The NBA players were going, bouncing off the walls, and they had a resort with fishing and golf and top-shelf food. You know, Rob Kennedy, who ran, who ran a bubble for the, 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 tournament, the basketball tournament, uh, ESPN for the hoop group this summer, three weeks in a bubble. Rob Kennedy was sprinted out the door at the end. He was going crazy after three weeks. So you really can't, you can't put these kids in a bubble for much longer than that. So whatever they do is going to have to be a series of things. It's not one two month bubble. It's not going to happen that way. No, but one thing I would say is these kids, they're 18 and 22 years old for sake of television normally and, and all the different variables of college again, they're taking classes virtually. It doesn't have the, the same exact you know, effect. And then if your conference has the budget to do it, like let's look at the Big East. You're talking about games on Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Saturday or Sunday. They play twice a week. Sometimes a third game squeeze somewhere, but normally two games a week, right? So I've talked to coaches. They're more than comfortable if they are in a type of bubble type of atmosphere. And I, I know players are the same way. These players during the middle of the season, they hate practicing. They hate it. They want to play games. They're ready to play games. It's hard for them to, to keep their attention. Um, and, and so I think that in the Big East, I, I think that you could see back-to-backs happen. 
And if you do regionalize pods, I'm, I'm not saying that this is something they're looking at, but if you do some regionalized pods, it would make sense. You can segment Marquette, DePaul, Butler, Xavier, and Creighton in the Midwest. And then the Northeast schools, the six of them, UConn, Providence, Seton Hall, St. John's, Georgetown, Villanova, in a Northeast type pod. And the question immediately is, well, how do you get them to play each other? You know, you, first you just, you gotta, you gotta see the product and you gotta see games happen first. Right now, we need to see any games happen. Forget about the interaction between Northeast and Midwest. I could see, I, you could see something happen like that, but I think to Jerry's point, you're not going to do a two-month bubble. But if you do something that's over the course of 10 days, you can get in four or five games at a facility for each team in that span of time and take a week, you know, 12 days off and, and potentially merge into another type of pod-like situation. I, I think they're going to have to get creative, but uh, I think they're looking at all different types of options. I just, it, I can't see the amount of games being played, at least in, in the Big East and, and other leagues too. But, you know, Jerry, you've seen that schedule. Matt, you've seen that, that Seton Hall schedule. It's bananas how much they're doing from December 11th to 23rd. It, it yeah. doesn't, doesn't feel feasible. I wish it did, but it really doesn't. No, it, it is jam-packed, that, that's for sure. And, and there are going to be adjustments. I think I, I'm wondering if what we're seeing in basketball here, college basketball, is not unlike what we saw at the beginning of Major League Baseball where Miami had so many issues. And then you know Cincinnati and then St. Louis had a bunch of problems. But really, it was Miami True. at the beginning, and it was crazy. And everyone said, this is never going to work. But then, and it's it's a professional league with enormous resources available to it. I get it versus college athletics. And outdoors. Outdoors versus indoors. uh, 100%. But I I think that we may see, oh, we knew this was happening or could happen. It is. And there's this sense of, oh, my God, it's going to get away from us. And it might. But hopefully there's learning that goes on constantly. Good leadership, which I know the conference has uh, both you know, on a, a global level, so to speak, in the conference office, but also among the institutions. And, you know, th- they will figure it out. But this is a virus that has no vaccine yet. And so it's a nasty enemy. That's for sure. Yeah, there's no question it is. And um, it's it's just crazy. It, it really is. But uh, it's not surprising because we thought with cold weather that things could happen. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants a season more than us. Jerry and I have talked about this quite a right. bit. Nobody wants a season more than we do. Um, but by the same token, you know, it's, it, this is real. It, it has not gone away. And playing during it and doing things normally, there's nothing that's been normal about this year. And college basketball should know, of all people, how harsh and how sad it was when their sport got stopped, not, not expected, to stop it got stopped suddenly you know you could argue college basketball has been the most impacted sport of any because the sport itself got stopped very suddenly very shocking very sad for those seniors and those college basketball players now you're about to embark on a new season and the virus cases have never been higher daily what's and, really what's really a shame that is it this is we're, we're at like the high water mark of new jersey college basketball here i mean you had yeah you have seton hall mm-hmm. and Rutgers on a national stage you have, you have a fairly Dickinson is favored to win their league. You know, St. Peter's and Monmouth are top three or four teams in their league. Could easily win that league in the MAC. You know, you have NJIT's entering a new conference that makes a lot of sense for them in the America East. 
Princeton was probably the second best team in the Ivy League. I mean, you have mm-hmm. all these good you have all these good programs and who are playing good basketball, have good teams finally, and now you have this. And it's it's a double shame because if we do have a season, there's a lot to look forward to. Right. There's a lot to look forward to, but I think that just my point is to to the point of you had the longest time to coordinate how you were going to conduct a season to attempt to do something normal. It's not an option. I, I agree with you, John. I'll end it with this. The, the question, I'll get both of your answers. You can go as short or as long as you want on it. Will we see a season? I'll, I'll go first, John. I think there's going to be a season. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I think they will find a way to have an NCAA tournament. If it's conference play only, if it's, you know, short bursts of games, if they got to move it to, I know they don't want to move, they don't want to lose the March Madness brand. If they have to move it to April or May, hey, man, this has a nice swing to it. I do think one way or another, there will be an NCAA tournament. I don't know how big it'll be. I don't know when it'll be. I don't know what the roads will look like. But there's just there's too much at stake for them not to have one. And especially after losing last year, I think they'll find a way. And how we get there, buckle your seatbelt. Yeah, I mean... I totally agree with Jerry, and it's a a big yes for me. I think the first point I'd make is for those that were trying to equivocate the Ivy League's decision not hold a basketball season with the idea that other conferences are going to follow suit, again, the Ivy League, it's not a major revenue stream for them. Sports are not that type of revenue stream. Um, They just don't have the same significance financially. The Ivy League makes their money in other ways, so you can't equivocate those two things. And we've seen a lot of people attempt to do that. I would say, don't let that decision, you know, dictate your thoughts on what other leagues are going to do. I mean, just look at football and how they've tried to forge on this fall. We got a lot of games canceled, but they're going to keep forging on because come hell or high water, they have to, uh, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, I've been asked a couple of times, Hey, where would you call a game from this year? Um, you know what? I'd call a game from inside the Walsh gym bathroom. Uh, I call a game inside my mom's closet. I don't care where you put me. I don't care. Have you ever seen the Christmas story? If you put me down in the kitchen cabinet where, where the kids hide, I don't care where you put us. We just want games. So in other words, if you tell kids, Hey, we're playing the NCAA tournament in June. If that's a guarantee, those, where do we sign? I think any coach right now, if they were told, if God came down and said, we're going to play the March madness, but it's going to be in June. And it's a guarantee. I think all of us would probably say, perfect. The NCAA tournament's going to happen. I think there will be a season. Um, who knows when everything will be and when it pans out. But I do think that the next couple weeks, I just hope that leadership in college sports understands how critical this is to not be reactive, but be proactive. The writing's on the wall with these cases and with these programs that are pausing. You've got to try to be a little bit proactive here, and I'm sure that they're looking at options, but you have to understand there's just no normalcy here, and you've got to find some way of balancing things, even though there'll be an imbalance. But I think that a season's going to happen. How it looks, we'll see. But there are too many cons to not holding a season because – you would not be on life support anymore. You, as we would know it, would be done. So 
That's why they have to hold a season. And I do think that they will. And I'm also hopeful about some of the vaccine news that we've seen from Pfizer here over the last week. Let's hope that comes to fruition sooner rather than later. I will leave you guys with this. John, you referenced uh, a Christmas story. Gentlemen, do not put your tongue on a frozen flagpole. <laughs> Matt, if it, it meant we were having a, a college thing. basketball season, I'd stick my tongue on it right now. Hell, I'd stick my ass on it. I just want to play. I'm trying to picture John calling calling a Sandro Mamukalashvili bucket from the the Walsh Jim bathroom on the throne. It would be with enthusiasm, Elon, and it would be dead on. We know that, but it would be interesting. That's for sure. I'm gonna sign a. I'm gonna sign a deal with Charmin. <laughs> Fair enough. Hey guys, thanks so much for the insight. Uh, as I said at the top, the sands change. Who knows what the next hour holds? But it's been enlightening, and I appreciate your sharing your thoughts with me. All right. Hey, I didn't know that that's how the interview would end, but when you have two engaging personalities as your guests, hey, you never know. The twists and turns of the COVID story make it such that each day brings new information. Who knows what lies ahead, but we know there will be new developments. And I do hope that the Hall and the Big East and college basketball in general can get some sort of a season done. Fans, no fans, bubble, no bubble, whatever it takes, as long as it's done safely. That will wrap things up on this edition of Pirates Talk. Special thanks to my guests, Jerry Carino and John Fanta, and a huge shout out to Pat Christensen, the audio engineer who makes the show sound as good as it does, and the man who wrote and performs the Pirates Talk theme. I couldn't do this show without him. And that will do it for this edition of Pirates Talk. Thank you for your company. Until next time, be safe, be well, and go Pirates!